There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real-life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo, and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Today, I welcome Laura Liz Meyer. Laura is a multi-year world pizza champion. She's been recognized by various publications such as Hoodline, Thrillist, and Restaurant Hospitality, as well as been listed as San Francisco Chronicle's Rising Star Chefs, one of Eater's Young Guns, and even noted as one of Forbes 30 Under 30 for the restaurant and beverage industry in 2016. Laura is a speaker at the International Pizza Expo and has been the administrator and one of the teaching assistants at Tony Gemignani's International School of Pizza since 2012. Let's jump right into this. This is going to be an incredible interview. Laura, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here today. I've heard and read incredible things about you and the success that you've achieved. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Of course, of course. So why don't we go ahead, let's just jump right into it. And I want to hear all about you. So how did you first get into the food service industry? Or how did you get into the the, the pizza making business? I first started at the age of, I think it was 16 or 17. And it was my first job. It was at a time when, you know, my family was telling me, go get a job. <laughs> You're old enough, sure. go get a job. And... Yep. So I went to my friend and was talking to her about the job that she had got. And it just so happened to be kind of the neighborhood pizzeria. And mm-hmm. she got me the application, pretty much did all the legwork for me. <laughs> and then right. next thing I knew, I had a job. <laughs> and it was in a pizzeria with my mentor. First started in Castro Valley of California here. And then as he was growing his brand and his empire he kind of just brought me along for the ride. And, you know, every time he offered me an opportunity, I said yes. And now we are here almost 20 years later and I'm opening my own restaurant. Look at that. Okay. So when you were 16 years old or 17 years old and you began working in the pizza business, how long were you there at your first location? The first restaurant I ever was in, I was there for about five years. Okay. And then, and that was in Castro Valley. That was kind of the original pizzeria, very kind of small town, everyone's first job, lots of young kids, college students. Mm-hmm. And then when I myself finished college and Tony, Tony Gimignani had already opened his restaurant in San Francisco, he offered me a kitchen manager position and I jumped at the opportunity. I had just graduated from college and was itching to get out of my small town and into the bigger city. Sure. And so I took the job and I was there for about seven or eight years. And then wow. from there, I took other opportunities uh, within his restaurant groups, a secondary group called Pizza Rock. And I took on the corporate chef position and that was across multiple states and whatnot. And then then COVID hit. (laughs) And so that brought me back home and it kept me in San Francisco and it was great. And, and then when COVID hit, it is when I was started testing the waters for my own self. 
Okay, I like it. I like it. So Tony Gemignani, I believe he's uh, a very well-known uh, person in the pizza world. I think he's a Pizza yes. World Cup champion, and I, I believe he owns some of uh, some of the most well-known pizzerias in the in the West Coast, probably in the country. Describe or tell me about your relationship with Tony. Well, Tony to me is family at this point. He's always going to be a part of my life. I'm the godmother to his son, and you know, there. I don't imagine there's ever going to be a point from here on out where he's not a part of my life. And sure. initially it was very much, he was at a big growth spurt himself. You know, he had just won his award in Naples and, you know, he was really launching his career and he was in a big stage of growth. And, sure. you know, that's when he had offered me the opportunities and whatnot. And of course I was jumping at everything that he was willing to throw out there. And it's been a crazy and wild ride ever since then, uh, just because, you know, as he was learning and as he was growing, I was learning and I was growing. And so it was very much kind of an in tandem friendship, working relationship, you know, and whatnot. And so it was a great experience working alongside him and learning and then not just learning, but also jumping at other opportunities outside of the restaurant with the competitions or speaking engagements, working with the school and teaching and kind of transitioning more into that teacher role and learning from him how to be and how to wear all of these different hats within this sure. industry and just kind of seeing all of the, the possibility. And it's been a, a great experience so far. <laughs> Yeah, so it sounds like you mentioned it's it was kind of a crazy and wild ride. What what does that mean? What were some <laughs> of the things that you uh, you know? What were the crazy and wild? Well, or maybe some examples that happened along the way. Yeah, well, the restaurant industry. I think a lot of people have this understanding of the restaurant industry as you open a restaurant and then you live and die there. But for Tony, right. that is never going to be the case. And especially for myself as well, having learned under him, it is you go for and you grab every opportunity available to you. And so mm -hmm. that meant that we were opening more than one location. We were expanding concepts and creating new concepts. We were crossing state lines and opening restaurants in different states. And that comes with its own hurdles and, you know, problems and whatnot. And then, you know, learning to work with different people like the stadiums and licensee agreements and, you know, building your own branding and, and whatnot. And then the school and then competitions, speaking engagements, learning to work with bigger companies and kind of a different side of the food industry. But then mm -hmm. it also parlaying into a cookbook and working on a cookbook and wow. learning how to write, learning how to do public speaking, food photography, all of those things that are kind of interconnected that you don't really put together with the initial thought. And so I really learned alongside him how big the food industry really is and how multifaceted it really is. And if you want the opportunities, they're there. You just have to go for it. Sure. When working with Tony, was there on this crazy and wild ride, was there any failures that you had throughout that time? And maybe if there was, what were something that you learned from that? 
definitely. There's always failure that comes along with success. It's just, especially with social media now, you only really ever see the success and not the failure. And I feel like you can't have success without failure. It's the only way to test ideas and to test products and to see what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, when as simply as a menu item, what works, mm -hmm. what doesn't work. And there's two sides to that coin. It, it's does your clientele like it or not? But then also mm -hmm. does the kitchen like it or not? And does it work for your for your procedures and does it inner work within it or is it completely dragging your kitchen down, you know, and, and causing sure. other problems. So there's, there's more than, there's two sides to that coin of whether something um, a food, specifically a food item is going to be successful. Right. And so just learning about that, but then also learning about branding, you know, what works, what doesn't work, you know, um, how to get people, in the seats, you know, how do I get butts in the seats and, you know, how do I right. get exposure and learning what avenues work and what don't, you know, social media plays heavily into that. So it's, right. you know, learning how to kind of interweave between social media platforms and at what time of day do, you know, is, does availability increase versus others, you know, little things like that. And then also sure. learning about TV and radio and, you know, radio isn't quite as big anymore as it used to be. So, you know, learning that radio is great and do it, but that you probably shouldn't settle for just radio if you have that opportunity and learning kind of, right. you know, how to expand from there into other media platforms and, and whatnot. So there's a lot of trial and error that people don't see. And it seems like everything is seamless and easy and mm -hmm. it, you know, everything connects and it just works seamlessly and it's never the case. <laughs> In my experience, <laughs> it has never been the case, but at the same time, that's how you learn. It's how you grow and yep. it only gets better from there. Really? Yeah, for sure. When you look at opening a new concept, would you look at the marketplace and, and the competition around the area or how did you, how did you decide, you and Tony decided to open up a new location? Well, when I was specifically looking at my location here in Berkeley, I sure. was looking for, you know, specifically foot traffic. You know, I didn't, I knew that if I wanted to make this place great and big and not just a local haunt where it's just your residential and that, and settle for, that's probably going to be my max. If I knew that I wanted to be able to grow this and really grow it, not just be satisfied with that local clientele, then I needed foot traffic. I needed visibility. I need, you know, people really. And so I was looking at very specific areas that were going to give me that, um, as well as accessibility in terms of, okay, maybe there's not a lot of foot traffic, but is it a place where people drive to a lot? Is there a lot of parking? Are there theaters? Are there, you know, is there, are there other things around it that are pulling people in and keeping people there? And so that was a big thing for me. And so I was looking at very specific areas in the East Bay. I knew that I wanted the East Bay because just having pretty much grown up in San Francisco, I had just reached a point in my life where I was ready to experience something outside of the city. And I knew that for me to make my name standing alone from Tony, that I kind of needed a little bit of a separation just to really be able to stand on my own two feet. And so the East Bay is great. It's where I was born and raised. It's a place that I always come back to and it's my home. 
So sure. Um, I knew the East Bay was it. And then having looked at certain areas in Oakland and Berkeley, Berkeley is just, there's a certain pulse here that you get that yes. is similar to San Francisco, but maybe not quite to the same extreme. And with the university, the Cal University being so close, as mm -hmm. well as Berkeley High, the high school, okay. I knew that there was going to be a constant rotation of young people. And it was always going to be high energy, new energy. Everyone around here is in with the times and what's cool and what's not. And, you know, there was always going to be a constant flow of that kind of high energy and, you know, accessibility to what's in the know, I guess. And mm -hmm. I knew that that was going to be really, really helpful for me to be able to focus on what I needed to focus on, but always have kind of this pulse around me kind of influencing myself. I love that. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> this is very well thought out. I mean, it it is not easy to open any kind of business, and uh, it seems like you have just a, a, a wealth of knowledge. And so, I commend you for that. Is your location open yet, or is it still on the way? We're close. We're getting close. It's we're projecting probably mid March right now. We're hoping for March sixteenth. It looks pretty good as of right now um, with construction and all that. So we're aiming for that date. But you never know with construction and dealing with things outside of your control, like city yes. permits and inspections and things like that. But we're pretty hopeful up to this point. That's great. And what is I know you mentioned COVID changed some things, and but what was your why for starting this, you know, new pizzeria? For me, I had just gotten to a point in my life and in my career where I had to really kind of analyze what are you doing? You know, mm -hmm. where is this all going? You know, it. I had I pretty much came to that fork in the road where I could stay in my position and be content knowing that I will always be able to pay my bills always, you know, and be able to go along with any of Tony's crazy ideas and, and find a certain amount of, you know, comfort there and whatnot. Sure. But was it going to be enough, you know, for me to be able to do that and, and whatnot, right. or was it the, okay, do we need to seriously look at doing this on your own? And for me, that was a really big question because mm -hmm. having worked alongside Tony for so long and also having such a big community of people around me that I've watched everyone do this for almost 20 years. So I know exactly right. what it takes personally, professionally, physically, mentally. I know exactly what it takes to do this and what kind of sacrifices that are going to need to be made. And I always thought mm -hmm. like, oh, well, I'm still young enough. I could... I could pivot from here and find a new career and be successful and, and get out if I, if I needed to. But knowing myself, I, I knew that there's no way that I've gotten this far in my career and done as much as I have to turn back now. And I always knew that it was going to be probably the one regret I had if I hadn't tried it. And so, you know, yeah. no one, there's nothing that says that I opened this one and that's it. You know, knowing me, sure. that's probably not it. But I knew that there's always more. There's always possibility. You know, if you have got the work ethic and you have the drive and you have the smarts, mm -hmm. then 
you can do anything. So even if I'm 65 and I say, you know what, I think I'm, I think I'm ready to get out and I want to do something different. I probably will <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> start a new career at 65. It sounds okay. great, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I knew that this was going to be the one thing that I would regret if I didn't do it. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I totally get that. When it comes to the style of your pizzeria, what kind of, what makes, or what is going to make your pizza different than other operators in the area? Well, a lot of pizzerias these days, granted it's changing a lot, but most pizzerias, they sell one style and that's it. Sure. You know, they execute it great or that to the best of their ability, you know, they evolve within that one style, but that's it. Well, whereas what I grew up with and the restaurant that I grew up in, possibilities are endless, you know, and at Tony's in San Francisco, they execute, I want to say 13 to 15 different styles of pizza on any given day. And having helped build that structure and having helped build that system and knowing what's possible, I, as well as that style of restaurant of you have a good mix of locals and people who drive in to see you. And, you know, there's, you build a community and you build this kind of place that kind of straddles the line between formal dining and casual dining. And, mm -hmm. you know, I knew that that was the kind of place that I wanted to build for myself. I feel like I'm that kind of person that straddles the line of formal and casual, you know, <laughs> most mm -hmm. days I'm wearing, Nikes and a t-shirt. Um, but you know, yep. I can dress up and be formal if I want to. And you know, that, that that's the kind of place that I wanted to, to build. So yep. multi-style, a multi-style restaurant was always going to be the, the case for me. So four styles of pizza sure. is what we're starting with. And I feel like to most people, that's probably a stretch, but for me, if that's keeping it simple, <laughs> So right. we're starting. We're starting there, <laughs> and then who knows where we go from there. Oh, well, good. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to the cooking different styles of pizza, is the cook time and prep is it similar, or is 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 each one of those four you vastly different from one another? Um, it can be as simple or as complicated as you want it to be. I think okay. some of it is going to depend on. What is your end product? What is it? What is the end product you're looking for? And then you work backwards in terms of, you know, I know how to make one dough that serves them all. You know, I know how to mm -hmm. kind of make one thing and do different things with it, depending and change the procedure and change the technique. Right. Or I could go the completely complicated route and make a different dough for every style and have a different procedure and have a different, different everything and make it as complicated as I want it to be. Um, so I think it all just kind of depends on what you're looking for, you know, how complicated or how simple do you want it to be? And then go from there. And, you know, I'm kind of doing a mix of the two, you know, I definitely have one dough that is a multi-style dough, you know, where it can do a lot of different things, but just change the technique and change the application. And, you know, I have an oven that can kind of accommodate all of these things. I'm working with an electric oven. So, an electric oven has a lot more capability to manipulate depending on what you're looking to do. So I can accommodate multi styles, you know, I'm not stuck to one temperature and that's it. You know, with a lot of wood burning ovens, a lot of people get stuck within that, you know, they stick to this Neapolitan style, high temperatures, but there's not much else that can cook at that 
900 degrees. So you're kind of you put yourself into a box without knowing it. And, you know, whereas I'm going to be cooking at a little bit of a lower temp, but I also have more than one deck at my disposal. So I can cook at three different temperatures all at the same time, three different styles of pizza all at the same time. So it, it all kind of depends on how complicated you want it to be. Yeah, that makes sense. Are you going to use a lot of the sim same ingredients that you used in your past experiences, or is it going to be all new vendors? Um, I'm going to be using kind of a mix. I, you know, I, you know, there's definitely a small part of me being that I was a kid when I first started, I was a teenager. There's definitely a small part of me that wants to change everything just because I don't want to be like dad <laughs> in a sense, sure. <laughs> you know, that, that, that there's that small childlike feeling of wanting to be different, but at the same time, mm -hmm. You know, I have a very much an understanding of the ingredients that we used and a respect for the ingredients that I used with Tony. And there's a reason why he uses them. And that's because they're great. Um, so there are going to be some ingredients that are very similar. You know, some of the brands might be different and whatnot, depending on that might change on my tastes. And right. also just the different flavors that I put on the pizzas themselves are going to vary. You know, it's not going to be a duplication of his menus entirely, but yeah, there are going to be some similarities because there's no way that I wouldn't have any similarities to him. Of course. Of course. Going back to the beginning and you mentioned college, where did you go to school? I went to SF State. Okay. What'd you get yeah. your degree in? Culinary based or? <laughs> no, I actually have a degree in history. Oh, wow. Okay. It actually makes more sense. It makes more sense than it sounds. <laughs> because I I'm was, sure. <laughs> I didn't know it at the time. I didn't intentionally study history with the thought of, oh, I'm going to go into restaurants, you know, and figure out right. how to connect the two. It was more of a, you know, my parents were always pushing me to do what you love. And, mm -hmm. you know, when it came time to having to pick a major, you know, of course I wanted to, I knew that I wanted to help people and I wanted to interact with people. And so I thought about uh, the health field and, you know, maybe become a nurse and all these things, but you're terrible at science and you're terrible at math and you hate it. So why are you doing it? And, and so I went for the thing that I liked the most and that was history. I love to read. I love to write. I love mm -hmm. learning about people and honestly, what always keeps me coming back is I'm, I'm always fascinated by what makes people tick and mm -hmm. what makes people react and do the things that they do. And usually a lot of the times it comes down to culture and food and language and history was that, was that, and, you know, I studied Italian at the same time. I studied abroad in, in Italy mm. and, you know, I compete in Italy every year. So I'm still able to use my language and my connections and, you know, it all kind of connected. I didn't know it at the time, but now sitting with my career and kind of analyzing all the things that I do, I was like, wow, I put this together really well and I didn't do it intentionally. <laughs> right. Yeah. All the pieces kind of fell into the right spot. Yeah. When you studied abroad, you went to, where in Italy did you live? I was in a town called Pavia in the north. It's about 30 minutes okay. south of Milan. And okay. the connections that SF State had, I had the option to either go to Florence, where okay. it was probably going to be a little bit of a shorter program. It was more of a six-month program. 
and all of the classes were in English. And I've always gone the harder route. (laughs) And it's always, I don't intentionally choose the harder route. It's just something that I always tend towards. And of course I went for the longest program I could find as well as no English. (laughs) So I was thrust into a university that spoke no English and all my exams were oral. And that was a rude awakening as an American student. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I have a newfound appreciation for different education systems and yeah, I'm sure having to take college level exams in a foreign language is orally and in front of your students is, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a learning experience for sure. Uh, absolutely. I, 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 I'm currently learning Spanish. I've always wanted to learn Spanish. So I have a tutor that I meet with uh, a few times a week in the evening and we just talk in Spanish about, you know, whatever it may be. And it is, when I first started off, it's, it's scary to do that. And I can't imagine doing it in front of others, standing in front of others and doing that as well. It's humbling to say the least. <laughs> absolutely. When you were there, did you live in a home with native Italian speakers or, or were you in like dorms with other American students? How did that work? I lived in an apartment, uh, so I did not okay. live in a dorm, but my door, my apartment, excuse me, was actually an interesting mix of people because there were five of us together and it was me and one other American, but then there were two Italians and then a girl from Mongolia of all places. Wow. Yeah, so it was a very interesting living arrangement because it was a culture clash to the extreme. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, we all got along for the most part. There weren't any arguments or anything like that, but you could definitely tell that there were silences (laughs) purely because we didn't really know how to communicate with each other at first, and then you also just not sure what's appropriate and what's not. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was interesting, but... You can't help but learn in those kinds yeah, of definitely. situations. Definitely. When I was in college, I too did a study abroad. I went to Florence. And that was such an, I mean, it was an experience that I now tell people when you're going through college, like just take the time and go. You may never have that opportunity in your life again to do that. And uh, my my roommates were two American roommates and one of them, he ended up getting, uh, he was a little crazy and uh, he ended up getting deported. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. And, but it was such a fun experience and, and learning the different culture. I do, I do regret not having a similar experience like yourself where I live with um, Italian speaking or, or native Italian people. Uh, Cause I think that would have really enhanced my experience there, but I got to travel around quite a bit and throughout Italy and other, some of the other surrounding countries. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. The big thing that I, my big takeaway from that is from that experience, at least I still am friends with the, with a lot of the people that I knew there that we all lived in the same, you know, town and whatnot. And my big takeaway was speak fast and be, Mm -hmm. and, and be fearless because I always, you always forget that we as Americans our language is terrible in, in the sense of, right. you know, when we communicate with each other, we slur, we push words together, we make up our own words on the fly. And, yep. you know, if I was someone trying to come in and speak to me, I'd probably think that we were all crazy because 
<laughs> our English isn't isn't structured English. And so I had to relearn that when I went over there. I was like, just speak fast and who cares if you mess up? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when you were there, did you work in any restaurants? I didn't. I was actually a nanny. And so I worked okay. with a family and that was a great experience. I didn't work in any restaurants, but the year that I lived there was the first year that I gained exposure to the competitions. So that year, it, Tony had come to Italy for a competition and he had invited me to come check it out. And so that was kind of my first taste of competing in pizza internationally. And so, of okay. course, as soon as I got back and started working for him in San Francisco and he asked me if I wanted to com compete, it was like, oh yeah, yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> I'm an extremely competitive person, so it just it checked all the boxes. Totally. Where did these competitions take place in Italy? So originally they were in, I mean, there's a couple of them all over, but the big two, the original one was in Salsa Maggiore, but it moved mm. to Parma in the north. Okay. And then the other big one, of course, is the one in Naples. Mm. So gotcha. those are like the two big heavy hitting competitions. And then of course there are other smaller competitions all over the place, but depending on the style of pizza you like really want to be known for, you know, those you, right. you pick one of those two. The people that you're competing against, are they from all over the, the world? Yeah, there's the one in Parma. Usually there's anywhere between 20 to 25 different countries present. Wow. And the biggest category, I've seen upwards of 600 people. 600 people? Yeah. <laughs> it, so it's spread across, usually it's spread across three days. And the, uh, your odds going into it are so slim that yeah. to win is huge. And, you know, I definitely know a couple, I, a couple people who have won more than once. And they are amazing pizza makers. But... For me, at least in the beginning, it was, you're not going to win. You have no chance. You have a one in 600 chance of winning. <laughs> so forget yeah. about that and just go for the experience, learn, figure it out, and then, you know, come back and give it hell the next year. Um, sure. But I actually ended up winning the first year I competed <laughs> in Italy. And so it was one of those, like, none of us expected it. And so when we heard my name, it was the, the entire room was silent because no one knew who I was. <laughs> and so it was like me and a few other people at our table and we were the only ones cheering because we had no expectations and there were only three of us Americans that had gone to compete and, you know, a couple people that we knew that had come with us. But beyond that, you know, you're in a giant, think of it like a giant expo center and sure. it's hundreds of people and they call your name and it's crickets <laughs> except for like maybe the six people that you know <laughs> wow it was a great it was a great experience and it was something a memory that i'll always cherish for sure because it was a I, i'm sure it really was a, a kickstart to a lot of things mm -hmm. i can imagine i mean it I'm sure it's frightening to be up there and doing that as well in front of all of your peers. And it's I, frightening, I can't but even it's imagine. actually kind of liberating because there's this, there's a certain kind of comfort in the fact that you can hide. 
you know, right. nobody, nobody knows your name. Nobody knows what you're capable of or not capable of. Nobody knows if you speak English or Italian or, you know, you're an unknown. So there's a certain kind of liberating feeling to that, especially in competition, because it's a different set of pressures. You know, mm-hmm. the, the pressure is more on you individually and the pressure that you put on yourself as opposed to outward influence mm-hmm. and so it's kind of liberating being the first or doing it for the first time because you don't have to worry about so many things you can kind of just focus on what's in front of you and whereas now it's a little bit different when you walk into a room and everyone's pointing at you or not everyone but at least more right. people than originally and right. you know now the expectations are different you know, people expect oh, you absolutely. To, people expect you to do well, and if you don't meet those expectations, it's like, you know, was it a fluke? Was it not a fluke? Sure. Was it, you know, like, so <laughs> there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of things that kind of go into it, and so, but I love it. I'll never not compete if they allow me. <laughs> yeah, it, within the within these uh, competitions, there's there's different. Is there like different um, what's the word categories? Like I think you I think you want best pan pizza. Uh, yeah. Is there multiple categories or is it just one singular category? No, there's different categories and they vary depending on the style. So the one okay. that I won was the pan division, but then they also have and then most of them are the same divisions. Usually you have a Neapolitan division in which. It's always called an STG, in which STG okay. is a very specific set of rules, and okay. it's the more traditional route. So you have to, you know, your technique has to be a certain way. All that, you know, it's a very regimented category. Um, other than that, sure. you have the Roman style uh, pizza and pala, and then you have what they call the classic category, which is okay. usually around pizza. And it's more of an anything goes kind of category. You're not limited on toppings or crust or anything like that. They just tell you it needs to be round and it needs to be this size. And so those are like the main competitions, but you also have like gluten-free. You have in Parma, there's a bigger category called Heinz Beck, which is more of a chef-driven category. And then you also have a doubles, a pairs competition, which is kind of cool. Yeah, so there's a lot of... A lot of different categories that you can choose from. And you still compete today. Like you still go every year to compete. I do. Um, because of COVID, of course, they didn't have the competitions, but they're bringing it back this right. year. Um, unfortunately, I won't be able to go to Parma this year because the restaurant will be opening. Right. But uh, but that's okay. And then, <laughs> and then of course, the one in Naples, uh, the Caputo Cup. And then they have a couple here in the U.S. that are, are very large as well. Gotcha. And over the weekend, I think you mentioned it's three days and 600 people. They do. Is there like levels that you need to pass or you're out or how does that go? Nope. No. I mean, it's not always 600 people. Sometimes it's less. Usually you see an average of anywhere between four to 500 people. Okay. But even still, um, you have one shot, you get one shot. And especially in Italy, you get one shot, you make one pizza and then that's it. They, hustle you in and they hustle you out and they give you, I think it's 12 minutes from start to finish. And there's actually someone that there's a group of judges that stand there with a stopwatch and they watch your technique and they time you. And then 
when you're done, they pass you off to the tasting judges. So there's a lot to it. And they, they mean business over there. <laughs> the pizza competitions sure. are, are tough. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Have you done the competition at the International Pizza Expo in I Vegas? Have. Yeah, I won the non-traditional division in 2014. Wow, that's coming back up. I I typically go. To, I usually go to that um, every year because there's I have different vendors and clients that I work with that attend and it's and a I've great seen. Show. Yeah, it really is, and I've seen bits and pieces of the competition. I haven't ever just sat there the whole time and watched it, but I, I know it's a lot of energy. It's kind of, they build up a little stadium there and uh, it's pretty yeah. fascinating to watch people. I always recommend if you have any desire, even an inkling of a desire to compete, watch it and then participate in it. It's not for everyone, but sure. you've got nothing to lose. Honestly, you really don't. And there's so much marketing that can come from it in terms of like, yeah, it's great if you win, but even just participating is huge, sure. especially for a lot of small businesses. Just knowing that you are going up against some of the best pizzerias and pizza makers in the country and potentially the world, and you're throwing your hat in the ring. And even if you only place top 10 or top half or whatever, it you know, there's so much that can good that can come from it. And for sure. the worst case scenario is you don't win and then you come back next year and you just don't tell anybody. <laughs> it, it, exactly. As, as you said, it, it's kind of liberating. People may not even know yeah. who you are. Yeah, there's literally <laughs> nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Going back to COVID, um, since COVID, do you have, is there a new belief, behavior, or habit that has most improved your life? Um, at most, I mean, the restaurant was a pretty big thing that came out of COVID. <laughs> that is sure. improving my life for sure. Um, but more than anything, COVID just kind of confirmed how stable of a of an industry the pizza industry is. In the sense that you could literally shut down a dining room and the pizza industry better. Right. Because it is such... Pizza is a food that will never go away. It will never die. And right. it is such a food that is known to everybody. It is everyone's comfort level food. So takeout and delivery will always survive. And it will always be the top item that people go to. It is that comfort food. And it can be gourmet. It can be super gourmet. You can put caviar and gold and lobster and all of these high-end items. But... It can also go the complete easy route of cheese and pepperoni, and you can straddle the line of both things. So it is. it only confirmed to me that I was in the right industry and that I am in the right industry. And, you know, this is something that will always be around. Right. A lot of other, a lot of other items within the food industry really suffered during COVID because it requires an in-house, you know, pool of people, you know, it required in-house dining. And when that's taken away, can you survive and can you pivot, you know, pizza can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's kind of like the, I know during the pandemic when everything was shut down, 
takeout or um, drive-throughs, you know, were very popular, and, yeah. and as was pizza. They're both kind of recession or even pandemic-proof, which is, you know, for your for a new business that you're opening, it's good to have that. No that there is always going to be a consumer that wants your product. Yeah, it's a it's a comforting feeling in the, sure. in the back of your mind, you know, knowing that cuz now especially you know, opening up a new restaurant, there's a lot of new rules with COVID, you know, mm-hmm. and also insurance policies and all these kinds of things and knowing that if this were to happen again, could you survive? You know, you've survived the first time and now we know. And everyone has pivoted to make sure that they can survive, but can you? And so knowing that pizza will always survive is, it's it's a little comforting. (laughs) I'm sure just a little bit. (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) If you could go back in time, going back to 16 or 17 when you started in in the pizza business, would you have done anything differently? No, no, not at all. Because... For me, it was, I was constantly being told, do what you love. You know, don't, yeah, think about it rationally. (laughs) Think about it realistically. You know, all of those things that, you know, I take into consideration now, you know, survival, you know, you got to be able to pay your bills and all that things. But at that age, you know, I had a, I have a really supportive family. So they were constantly pushing me to do the things that you enjoy the most and then, figure out how to make something of it as opposed to get a nine to five job and pay your bills and then figure out how to enjoy it later, you know? So I wouldn't have changed anything. Not one thing. I love that. There's so, there's has to be so many people out in the world that want to be like you one day. And I think you've, you've had such amazing life experiences what advice would you give to somebody that, that wants to achieve the success that you've achieved? Um, I mean, I think a lot of it are the main things that you hear all the time. You know, it's sure. for me, I would definitely push also the do the thing that you love the most because, mm-hmm. you know, if you do what you love, then you never work a day in your life kind of a thing because I enjoy my job. I, yeah, I work really long hours you know, and I'm on my feet and sometimes I have really mean people <laughs> yelling at me <laughs> um, because their pizza wasn't hot enough or, you know, whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, I still love my job and it's something that doesn't carry over to the next day, like the feeling. And, you know, I would also advise, like, you got to really know what you're getting into when you get into the restaurant business. You know, I've taught and I've talked to a lot of people that are getting into this business purely because of the numbers. You know, they look at pizza and they say, well, this has a high, high margin on it. You know, I can make a lot of money off this. There's a high profit margin here in terms of, you know, product to what I can sell it for or to adding alcohol on top of that. You know, they see the numbers and they see money, but they have no idea what it actually takes to run a successful business and, and then mm-hmm. a business that can stand on its loan, but then a business that's also one that is worth growing. You know, it's a concept that's worth growing. It's a brand that's worth growing. And there's a lot of work involved in that. And oh yeah, I think a lot of people get into it with the wrong reasons for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you kind of have to take a hard look at it uh, because your life will turn way upside down. 
when you do. Yes. Um, but honestly, I would just keep telling people like, know what you're getting into, but go for it. There's, you know, there's no yeah. reason if there's, if you have the will to do it, you will find a way. And, yeah. you know, especially when I talk to young people and young females as well, mm-hmm. the thing that I always am telling them is you need to be in the room. You might not be a part right. of the conversation on day one, but you need to be in the room. You know, you need to be right. listening. You need to be watching. You need to be absorbing everything. And one day you will be a part of the conversation, whether it's because you decided you wanted to compete and now you've won and now your name is now known or because you're opening a pizzeria and you're doing well, or you're just partnering with the right people, you know? And I always tell people like, you don't have to be hundred percent outspoken right out the gate. You don't have to be shouting from the rooftops. Hey, look at me, look at me. But if you're not at least in the room, then you'll never know what's going on. Yeah, that's a, that is very profound. You're right. Yeah. You have to be in the room and, you know, I'm sure being in the room, you get knowledge and experience and surround your people with, you know, who can help you get to where you want to be. Yeah. For a really long time, I was a fly on the wall. You know, I was Tony's assistant and, you know, I think in the very beginning, no one really saw me because I was Tony's assistant. I was there to assist Tony and do what he needed and make sure that he looked good. And I did that. But at the same time, being Tony's assistant allowed me to stand in the back of the room and listen to the conversations going on around me. It meant that I was in the room with other pizza makers. So I was learning about the physical product and the science and the chemistry and, and how to make an outstanding product. But it also meant that I was in the room with other consumers and learning about their concerns and what they want. It meant that I was also in the room with CEOs and people of other high-end products, um, big companies. You know, I was in the room listening and learning how to navigate those relationships how to have those conversations and, and, and whatnot and how to, you know, expand and grow my name alongside somebody, how to partner with people, how to do all of these kinds of things. And, you know, I've learned a lot by just watching and listening. And it's one of the best attributes that I think that I have is that especially, and then even more so in learning how to be a manager within a restaurant, how to manage a team and work with a team is you know, I've always, and I hate to sound super cliche, but I've always told people, you know, especially on my cruise, is that you got to learn how to play the game before you can change the rules. Right. You know, and when it comes to, you know, learning people's personalities and what, what makes them tick, you're going to be a better manager for it by learning, okay, this person does well by physically showing them. This one does well by telling them, you know, this person mm-hmm. doesn't work well with being reprimanded, you know, or, or whatever, you know, so you learn a lot by watching and listening. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that's what makes a trans- transformational leader is understanding that the, the team that you're surrounded by. I think that's a very important and, you know, cause you want to get there and buy in, you want them to be passionate. You, you want them to have shared vision and, and go in the right direction or the, in the same direction as you. So it takes a lot of skill, patience, time to learn that as well. Yeah, definitely. And not everyone is meant for specific management roles. You know, mm-hmm. not everyone is meant to do the books and the numbers, you know, and vice versa. Not everyone is meant to be the face, 
you know, so there, there are different, you know, areas where you can succeed, but learning what you're good at and what you're not good at. And for me, especially with opening this restaurant, it was go find the people that are smarter than you and are, and like doing the things that you don't like to do. (laughs) 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 And, you know, stick to what I'm good at, but find the people that are smarter than you at the things that you're not. Yeah, definitely. That that was my main objective. Kind of like you, when I was going through school, uh, science, not my thing, math, not my thing. And I, I was like, you know what? I, if I need a science related question answered, if I need help in science in the future, then I, I just want to surround myself with other people who are experts in that area and, you know, kind of find people who are smarter than me in whatever topic or focus that they are, that they know very well. You know, you're starting your next chapter here on March 16th or mid March. Looking into the future after that, what does success look like to you? Um, success to me is the first restaurant that I opened is still going strong. <laughs> you know, no matter what other concepts or locations open beyond that, you know, I have the drive to do that. You know, I want to open new locations beyond just this first one, but success to me is if the first thing I opened is still going strong and I'm able to go beyond that, then I did it right. And, but also building beyond that, you know, I want to continue teaching and continue expanding and, you know, doing those things. And teaching is one of the things that I love to do. And to me, if I'm still doing it and people are still asking me to do it, (laughs) then, then I'm successful. But, you know, and also my own happiness plays into this as well. Of course. So I think personally successful to me is also all my bills are paid. I've got a roof over my head. My family is happy. (laughs) And I have a job to go to in the morning. (laughs) The basic necessities of life. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Everything else from there is is a plus, especially in this industry and with what I do. I mean, if I... I had no idea that the kid that worked in a pizzeria at 17 is now still making pizza, but traveling the world because of it. Like who, who could have predicted that? (laughs) Yeah. I always like to prescribe to the thought that there's a million ways to be successful. You just have to choose one. Yeah. It's you've definitely done that for it. (laughs) Well, thank you. You haven't seen nothing yet though. I know more to come. Well, I wanted to say thank you so much for joining me today on the Titans of Food Service podcast. I really enjoyed our discussion. And after you open, I hope to get up to Northern California and come visit and try all of your, the four different styles of pizza. And I'm just, I'm so excited for you. And again, thank you for coming on today. There's going to be so many people that resonate with your story. And I think there's going to be a lot of people out there that, that aspire to achieve what you've been able to achieve as well. Well, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to hopefully having you in the restaurant one day and you never know, maybe there'll be five styles of pizza by then. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Thanks so much, Laura. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.